Oh, no. It's the American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Emmett McConnell, and I'm joined once again from, by Red Bull enthusiast Pat Murphy to help me break down the Philadelphia Union versus New York Red Bulls and the rest of MLS playoff first round action. Pat, how are you doing today? Uh, I think you know I'm not doing great, Emmett. You know, it was a, yeah. it was a tough day for, our, a for my squad today. Um, very loaded question. Tough day for my squad today, but at the end of the day, you know, we'll get into it, but I thought the better team won, so at least I can I can sleep a little bit knowing that knowing that we weren't outplayed and defeated. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you can say you go out there, you put out a... Well, well the thing is, would you rather go out, play a fantastic game, and get edged narrowly, or go out and... You know, it was a good high-intensity game, but then, but just being second best. Well, I can assure you, at least for me, it's the first one, losing the way we did today, because we're usually the exact opposite of that, where we play fantastic, and we completely outplay the other team, especially the past few years, and still go out in the playoffs, the classic that's so metro of the Red Bulls. And, yeah, I can say with pretty much certainty that I'd rather lose in the fashion that we lost today or you can look at the match and just say we were second best um I thought outside of the first 15 minutes or so of the game today uh we were second best and if Andre Blake hadn't just gifted us at least two really all three goals he was pretty poor on but really just gifted us the last two um that game wouldn't have been very competitive in any way including uh within the scoreline so we were definitely lucky today as well and listen, I mean, there's at least one thing you can be smug about, which was your take on MLS goalkeepers. Because that is very true. Andre Blake did not have a great game. A couple other performances weren't great. A couple were fine. I don't know how... Robles had a stellar performance, I thought, for the most part. Uh, well, yeah, he's as steady as they come in the back, and I'm not worried about him ever. He was not one of the guys I called out. Uh, I watch him enough to know that he's ready to go in those big spots. He, he's reliable despite giving up four goals. Before we get into that game, we're just going to go over the results real quickly. Uh, the first game, Atlanta United did defeat uh, New England Revolution, one nothing at home. And they will host the Philadelphia Union, uh, that game on Thursday. Uh, and other results in the East, of course, New York City with the bye will be hosting Toronto FC, who beat DC United in extra time, but not as exciting as you'd think, 5-1. In the West... LAFC, you wanted it, you asked for it, are going to host the LA Galaxy in El Trafico 3.0, round three, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the Galaxy did beat as the uh, did beat Minnesota United, the only team to win on the road this round of the playoffs. So you can guess the other result, Seattle beating Dallas. Uh, they will play RSL, who defeated Portland. Having gone through that, let's, you know, that was just a little bit of getting what's necessary out of the way, the results. Let's get back into that game, the Philadelphia Union New York Red Bulls, because it started out high intensity, but mostly from the Red Bulls. Five minutes in, and they got a quick goal within the first ten minutes. Uh, and Josh Sims, who unfortunately did have to come out later uh, with a collision with Blake, just smashed one off of Blake's hands and into the gannet. Yeah, it was a it was a hot start for us. Um, as you said, I thought we were um, very very sharp to start the match. I thought we were pressing well. 
Um, we were really boxing Philly into uh, kind of the corners of the pitch and, and really turning those into chances. Josh Sims gets a good ball played into him, runs onto it. He's able to hit it into Blake's hands, as you said. Blake's unable to make the save. Again, probably not the best effort there from Blake, but uh, a good strike nonetheless by Sims. He was a guy that I mentioned uh, in our previous podcast as, as a difference maker for us. He's really been great the past month or so. Um, and yeah, unfortunate he had to come off with an injury. Um, I can't remember exactly when, but it felt like around the 30 minute mark or so he had a collision with Blake and we did not see him return and could be the last action he plays in a Red Bull uniform, unfortunately, as he's on loan from Southampton. So we'll see if he's back next season, but yeah, I thought it was a very good start for the Red Bulls. And then, um, really the rest of the way it was, it was all union. Well, was Sims good enough to a get himself a shot at Southampton, a team that doesn't necessarily have the best attackers. However, you know, that's premier league. It's another level. It's a whole nother level of quality, but also maybe good enough that the Red Bulls say, okay, we'll spend the money. Let's bring him back in. Yeah. I, I would think we would be, uh, definitely open to keeping him. Um, but at the same time, if you're Josh Sims, I know there was a report, earlier this week um, where he told uh, a reporter that he wanted to return to Southampton to kind of fight for his place or made it seem that way. I'm, al- I'm also not sure if maybe if they didn't think he was quite ready for, you know, Southampton first team, that they would loan him to another team within Europe, maybe a slight step above the Red Bulls, like a top tier championship club or something um, along those lines. So I'm not entirely sure. I'm definitely, um, more than welcome to take him back, though. I would I would love to see him back in a Red Bull uniform next season. So we could, you know, talk about the back and forth in this game. I mean, Andre Blake, three blunders, three goals uh, before the first half. Uh, the Union got one off of a set piece, Alejandro Bedoya. Uh, another set piece, Jack Elliott, to make it 3-2, uh, just about 10 minutes into the second half. And then a Fafa Pico header, uh, just about 12 minutes before uh, full time, there was really not any nice goals in this match, but it was still an exciting end-to-end match. It was, I mean, I know you, you know, sitting on edge, being a Red Bull fan, not really controlling the game, but it was exciting. You know, the ref let fouls go, that went end-to-end. There were, you know, even if there weren't a lot of shots as the game went on from the Red Bulls, they still threatened. Yeah, I think early on especially we did. Um, the last about 30 minutes or so, maybe 25 minutes of the match, um, and then added time as well. We really struggled. Basically, once Kaku came off with his injury, which was also very unfortunate for us, um, we really struggled to create chances without him out there. Um, unfortunately, Brad was BWP was basically anonymous when he was out there as well, although he didn't get many touches. Um but yeah, it was very exciting, as you said. Um, a little less exciting um, for me, watching as a Rebels fan. You could kind of just see us hanging on by a thread, and that thread getting thinner and thinner as the minutes wore on. Philly was winning, it seemed like, every header in the box. Every corner, my heart was in my chest, um, praying that we were to be able to clear it. And, you know, eventually they were able to get the equalizer. And then as soon as it went to extra time, I, I really wasn't feeling very good about our chances, especially without Kaku out there. There's a chance, um, you know, maybe a slight chance that the weather had something to do with this match. Ball slipping and sliding. But this is the playoffs. Most True. of these games had somewhat inclement weather. You know, yes. whether it's snow, rain, just cold. But that's the playoffs. 
And that's kind of the next step that you have to be able to adapt to. Blake didn't really deal with it well. Uh, the Red Bull defense on a few occasions didn't deal with it well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it may, I, I mean, the weather was a huge catalyst in how the match did end up turning out. Uh, I think that as, as crazy as that game was, and as like, you look at the goals, not clean at all, either from an attacking or defensive standpoint in a lot of ways, but it was exactly what you would hope from both of these teams. Of course, the Red Bulls with their patented energy drink soccer, and the Union with their adopted energy drink soccer through Ernst Tanner from the Red Bull system. Uh, it's almost a shame that these teams have to go out because next the Union have Atlanta, and I, I can't see it being as exciting of a match. Yeah, I mean, I think it still could be a very... I'm going to have to disagree with you on that. I think it could be very exciting. Obviously, um, I don't think it'll be maybe quite as high tempo as this match. Um, also, the weather uh, won't be getting in the way of that match as they play under uh, under a roof there in Atlanta. Um, so that won't be a factor either. But I think it still could be very exciting. I know Atlanta was only a 1-0 match. Um, their win against New England. Uh, but they're generally a very high-scoring side. Um, or can be when they turn it on. A lot of individual talent out there. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeful for, for, for a good match there. I really think all, all of the semifinal or the conference semifinal matches should be pretty exciting, to be honest, looking at the slate. Before we get into that, uh, let's, let's give the Red Bulls their due. due Jumping the gun. In my my apologies. Out. <laughs> let's, uh, let's kind of wrap up their season in a nice, tidy little bow. Of course, Chris Armis, uh, Really not beloved by fans after this first season. <laughs> but you'd have to yeah. assume he's going to be sticking around for one more. What do you well, see in the future Sorry, for Chris ahead. Armis? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I've seen uh, a report, uh, a tweet already from an unverified reporter um, who who is a reporter. I can't remember the exact um, person who it was on Twitter who said that Armis is out. Um, and already said that he's going to be, you know, relieved of his duties sometime within the next few days. Um, and there was a lot of other talk about it as well. So it sounds like maybe it is possible that Armis is gone. Um, I saw another account say that they had heard that Armis would be gone if the Red Bulls didn't have a deep playoff run. Obviously, losing in the first round would not constitute as a deep playoff run. So it really seems like this actually could be the end for Chris Armis. I know I said last week on the podcast that. I didn't think he'd be fired if they lost this match, but based on a lot of talk on, on Twitter, it seems like it may be the end for him. And really kind of feels like the end of an era for the Red Bulls in general. I mean, looking at the squad, I mentioned Brad before, Bradley Wright Phillips. Um, he was really a shell of himself this year. He only scored two goals. It was a shame. He, he kind of just seemed to fall off a cliff this year dealing with injuries. Looked off the pace all season. You, you have to wonder if that was his last game today, playing for the Red Bulls. There's a lot of there's been a lot of talk about that as well. And then we had so many guys rumored to be leaving during the season or last the off season with Aaron Long, um, Michael Murillo, who didn't even make it into the 18 today. I thought that was pretty telling about his future at the club. Kaku was another guy who wanted to leave early in the season. He had a whole transfer saga as well, and then we ended up keeping him. So really feels like it could be a, a huge changing of the guard next year for this team. A bit of an overhaul, which begs yep. the, and it begs the question with Armis, was, you know, last season under him and maybe even Jesse Marsh as well, 
did the Red Bulls overperform in terms of what they what they had? And this season was a bit of a return return to normalcy, a regression to the norm. Or was was Armish just a, was a poor coach? He couldn't get out of this team this year. What he probably should have in previous year, the, well, the previous year. I I think coaching has so much to do with your success. Obviously, um, I don't think Armis is nearly as strong of a coach as Jesse Marsh. No disrespect to him. Um, I think last year uh, when Armis took over at around the midpoint of the season, um, I think they really overachieved in terms of kind of the underlying numbers. I know obviously they broke the points record last season that now LAFC has broken this year. Uh, but I think looking at it, they had a lot of really close one goal wins. They grind out of lo- a lot of results that to be honest, that didn't really seem like they deserved the full three points in a good number of matches last year, but they were able to kind of hang on. He was often bringing on extra central defenders to grind out results and they were able to do it, which is obviously, you know, you do what you have to do. You get the points any way you can get them. But there was kind of a sense of that, at least to me last year, that they were overachieving a little bit based on the way they were playing. Um, I still felt way more comfortable um, during the Jesse Marsh days, even if we weren't performing as well in terms of results, because we always had the identity of, you know, that energy drink soccer, just playing really just up-tempo at every turn and blitzing teams and then we kind of moved away from that a bit during the Armas era so even if you didn't beat a team you knew that the Red Bulls under Jesse Marsh were going to give it to him exactly you knew you were going to make him work for it it doesn't seem like the Red Bulls under Chris Armas had it that often there were definitely games where they made teams work for it I can't say that this wasn't one of them they made the union work for it as much as that was Andre Blake uh, they made it, every time I saw them play Atlanta or New York City, the big games, it seemed like they made them work for it, uh, which led me to think they could have a playoff run in them. Probably not winning MLS Cup, but they had a chance for the playoff run. Uh, and in, in some ways, I kind of thought that this would mirror in some way uh, two seasons ago, in 2017, when the Red Bulls finished, uh, I believe it was sixth and played in the first round, the Chicago Fire. Uh, in a lot of ways, the Fire, like the Union, were teams that were a team who previously not really a playoff team, having a big explosive year, making some good acquisitions, uh, finishing in third place. Uh, however, it, it it didn't go this way this time. I, I honestly thought in my mind, like, this is the same thing as the Fire. I was at that game in 2017, it's like the Red Bulls are going to come out. They're going to play their game despite finishing in sixth. Same thing as that year. They're, they're going to figure it out, and they're going to come out and beat them. But uh, I, I think that, as you mentioned, that this is a new era for the Red Bulls. That was, you know, even when they finished sixth, they were they were given, they were were handed it to teams. They were giving them the run for their money. And they just weren't as exciting to watch this year. I always used to – listen, I'm a Philadelphia I'm a Union fan – I always liked the Red Bulls. I liked watching them play. I did not like watching them play this year. And that, I think, is the biggest indictment on Chris Armas and the Red Bull team. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a common sentiment amongst the amongst the fans this year. Um, they definitely weren't as exciting to watch. And there's that saying in sports for teams, team building, it's always better to be a year early than a year late on kind of overhauling your team or making moves. And it seems like 
we kind of fell victim to that this year. We kind of ran it back with the same guys. We didn't shake up the squad a lot. And really it seemed like there were a lot of guys who, who underperformed and it may have been because they didn't really want to be on the team this season. I mentioned the guys before who seemed like they could be out this year. Aaron Long's transfer saga, Kaku's transfer saga, all these things. Um, I think those things, you're in a locker room, it, it weighs on you. And again, it just goes back to kind of moving away from the identity of the team as well with Chris Armas um, as the head coach. And I don't think there'll be too many fans upset if he's not the coach next season and if we get a big overhaul of the team. I don't think there'll be many fans upset at all. It seems that most want him out. Uh, those that aren't actively asking for it probably wouldn't be disappointed or surprised. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if Kaku leaves. Wouldn't be surprised if Michael Murillo leaves. Bradley I think Murillo's as good as gone after not even being put in the 18 today. I thought that was a clear indication that he will not be back next season. <laughs> yeah, can see that happening. Uh, but there, there is youth there. I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Christian Caceres. I think he should be playing week in and week out, 19 year old. Uh, but you know, like for a while, it was Tyler Adams. Everyone said Tyler Adams, the next big thing, the next big thing, the next big thing. We knew it was happening. He left. I was wondering who, if any, is there in the Red Bull system, first team, second team, Red Bull two, who's who fits that bill? Yeah, I mean they have. A few kids. John Tolkien is a USU 17. I think he was just left off, however, the U17 World Cup roster. But he's a strong player. He kind of plays center midfield, or uh, I think he plays left back at times as well for um, the US under 17s. Um, the other guy to watch who's not an academy player, but they brought him over this past year. Um, is Matthias Jorgensen, or Jorgensen, I believe it's Jorgensen. They brought him in last uh, at the beginning of this past season from Denmark. Um, On a young DP contract. Yes, and he was expected to be kind of a big talent for them. And we kind of all realized early on that I guess he was just not ready to play for the first team this year, which was pretty disappointing because, like you said, he received the young DP contract. He spent the whole year at Red Bull 2 this season, Obviously, we had striker issues throughout the year. Brad really wasn't what he was or, you know, what he's been in the past however many years he's been at Red Bull. Um, Brian White and Tom Barlow did, you know, very admirable jobs. I thought White especially was very good for that stretch during the summer this year. Um, but they need help up top. And, you know, Jorgensen's – he kind of has to be the guy. The team doesn't spend a lot of money. They spent – I think it was $2 million on him this past offseason. A That's a pretty significant investment. Yeah, in their terms. So he's a guy that you've definitely got to have your eye on as someone who needs to step up for them next year. Well, the Red Bulls are out. You'd think that it's perhaps a time for some investment in youth. Uh, the system is always strong. Uh, but I think we've given Red Bulls enough of a beating now that they're down. <laughs> uh, let's go over to the Atlanta-New England match. Uh, of course, Atlanta won that. We'll be hosting the Philadelphia Union. This was kind of the opposite in terms of intensity. It was kind of played out more tentative affair in the midfield. Neither team really wanting to give much to the other. Uh, I give props to New England under Bruce Arena. Uh, of course, we'll give them their uh, post-mortem. But uh, they approached the game, I thought, correctly. They, they made life difficult. They didn't overextend. They hoped to steal a goal here or there. They knew that they were probably the second-best team. Uh, and it took a a pretty decent, uh, decently worked goal from fullback Franco Escobar to get Atlanta the goal. 
Mr. Playoffs himself, Franco Escobar, as you heard on the call, his third playoff goal in six games playing fullback and center back. Impressive stuff. Unbelievable. And there was a pretty big tactical change from Frank DeBoer to move him out from center back, brings on Florentine Pogba, and what ends up being a switch from a back three to a back four, uh, and kind of allows Franco Escobar to get forward, and he ends up getting the goal. So credit to Frank DeBoer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I've said that very often. Yeah. I wonder how much he... <laughs> Listen, he's a, smart, he's a smart enough guy. He has to be. He has to have seen that. You have to assume he saw that work. He said, okay, we need to switch this. It'll create these openings. We'll be able to uh, get more help in the wide areas than just the, you know, the plain wingbacks. Uh, but I half, I half expect him just to, that he blundered into that one. He was like, oh, I guess it worked. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's a little cruel, uh, but he hasn't seemed like a guy maybe it's tough because he hasn't he has to get a you know a lot of pieces working together that perhaps don't fit Penny Martinez didn't start in this game yeah I, I think looking at DeBoer kind of his entire um stint this season he had an incredibly tough job coming in following Tata Martino obviously who just won the cup um but there's so much talent at Atlanta really at the end of the day no one's gonna care that they had you know, this many struggles throughout the entire season if he goes out and wins the Cup. And, you know, they're one step closer. They still have so much talent. P.T. Martinez, as you mentioned, didn't even get off the bench in this match. They were still able to create enough chances to win this one. So at the end of the day, if DeBoer delivers another Cup for them, the fans are going to be ecstatic. Uh, Yeah, you can't really blame him if he wins it. That was kind of been the discussion is how do you follow up that season Tata Martino had? And the answer was really, you just, you have to win MLS Cup. Yeah, he yeah. could have gone out and won the Supporter Shield, something Tata didn't do. He got Open Cup. He got Campionis Cup. So he's got a couple other things going for him. But in the end, MLS Cup is the is the main prize. That is the title. As much as I think the Supporter Shield deserves more credit. <laughs> as a Red and, Bull fan, I agree. I'm with you on this. <laughs> it's. I, I think I read something recently where someone suggested that the top place teams uh, in both both conferences just play in a one-off final. No playoffs. Yeah, I mean, just you know, you get your you win your league, and then there's that game, and that's your that'd be, cup. That'd be fantastic, but I mean, we both know that would never happen because money exists. Oh, I love <laughs> that good that good green paper. That good money <laughs> will never happen. Anyway, Atlanta moves on. Uh, not nearly as exciting of a game. Uh, we'll give New England their uh, their credit for uh, Bruce Arena. Did an absolutely wonderful job. You'd have to assume he's going to stay in charge for next year. Uh, yeah, Bruce Bruce did a very good job this year, and I think for sure he'll be back. I mean, he's a great MLS coach, another guy who gets a lot of flack on Twitter, especially from national team fans. Um, it was a disaster for him uh, the, with qualifying for the last World Cup, but you can't, cannot deny he's a very strong MLS coach. And I wonder now that we're seeing more of Burhalter, we saw Klinsman, have to wonder how much – you know, if Arena or Verena's just like, listen, it's not my fault. Maybe the national team, you know, maybe he was too nonchalant about it. That's kind of his attitude. Uh, you know, at least he isn't asking for his players to get assaulted in the parking lot after games, <laughs> like one Brad Friedel. Uh, but we have seen now New England starting to invest money. They brought in the striker Gustavo Bo. They have newcomer of the year, Carlos Heel. And I think as long as you don't have 
basically human yellow card Wilfred Zahibo playing most games, they have a pretty decent shot to be there next year. Yeah, and the other strong thing they have, Evan, as I always mentioned, they have a good goalkeeper. Something few teams in MLS can say, in my opinion, that they have a strong keeper they can rely on. Matt Turner had another great ma- great match in this one. He's been fantastic for him. Was not the starter coming into the season. Uh, give credit. I was hearing that the uh, the goalkeeper coach under Brad Friedel was a former goalkeeper coach at Chelsea. Of course, he's goalkeeper coach, at, but at goalkeeper coach at Chelsea. Uh, he remained past Friedel. Arena adopted him in, and he's done a really good job. Uh, kind of tightening ship there. So uh, that was an interesting little tidbit that I'd heard about. And there's some other things. Of course, this this squad needs, um, in a lot of ways, it's resembling an MLS, I don't know, what do you say, 1, 1.0, 2.0 roster in some places? Yeah, definitely some, some 2.0 vibes. Uh, you know, I think Arena did a good job turning wingers into fullbacks. Uh, Dewan Jones and uh, Brandon Bai, uh, who's a bit more of a natural fullback, but still, they're, you know, those are draft picks. Andrew Farrell being turned into a center back. Scott Caldwell. You know, I'm not so sure those guys fit into the current MLS systems, but Arena made it work. Uh, I wonder how much Kraft is going to put into this team and give him this offseason. But with a couple more investments, wouldn't be too ridiculous to think that they could have a home game next year. Yeah, that's always the question with New England, though. How much is Kraft going to spend? Um, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll just say that of it. That's fair. They've made some poor purchases, um, basically both Caicedos. I mean, they spent yeah. a lot of money on Juan Fernando Caicedo, and the first five minutes I saw him on the field, I could just tell this guy is not an MLS quality forward. <laughs> uh, Gustavo Bo, five minutes in, you could see this guy has got quality. He is definitely, yeah, got the goods, Gustavo Bo. Uh, so that's it for New England. Atlanta moves on. They host the Union. And let's preview that match while we're here. Uh, the game is played on Thursday at 8 p.m. And the Union, with a win and a draw so far against Atlanta, but last time they played Atlanta, in Atlanta, in the beginning of the season, the Five Stripes had like 80% possession. And this was in the beginning of the year where they were struggling, but they were still dominating games. They just didn't know what to do with the ball. I think we'll see a pretty different match. I think it'll look a lot more similar to the game in Philadelphia just about a month ago. Yeah, Philly has obviously kind of played much better than they have um, in that match, so not really indicative of their season as a whole. Um, and I think the question again with Atlanta was similar question we had coming into their match against New England, the injuries on the back line. Miles Robinson missed this match. They were able to weather the storm with Good old Parky, Michael Parkhurst, the captain back there, playing in his last MLS playoffs. But he came off late in the match with a, a look like a shoulder injury. So unclear if either he or Miles Robinson will be available for this one. Could be two huge losses for Atlanta's back line. Very, very big. And it's a quick turnaround with the midweek games. I think that will come down to basically what's going to decide this game. Otherwise, I think Atlanta has the edge in terms of home field advantage, in terms of player quality. Uh, I think Joseph Martinez knows how to score goals, right? That's a pretty stupid comment because he, he does. Still very true. But it's true. Uh, I think he also knows how to play against the Union, and I think he's going to bag one in that game. By the way, However, speaking of injuries, the other thing we haven't mentioned, 
because the union ended up being the victors today. Shabilko, is he going to go in this match too? A guy who just who missed the match today, clearly the union's best goal scorer. At times in the first half, it looked like they desperately missed him, but they were still able to pull it out today without him. But we'll see if he's out there on Thursday night. And he didn't even make the 18, uh, which isn't a good sign for them. Uh, they'll definitely be working Jim Curtin and that union staff to get him fit as quick as possible. Maybe take advice from Pep Guardiola and just toss him in the fridge for a couple <laughs> days. I was impressed by Sergio Santos. Uh, his first, I guess, more than 15-minute performance that has really impressed me. Uh, he did a lot of good running. Didn't seem to tire. On the other hand, Andrew Vooten, I have seen nothing out of him yet. Uh, yeah, I'm not he's, even sure he's touched the ball in a union jersey. <laughs> which, which is cruel, of course. But, I mean, when you're playing in a two-forward... It's a huge indictment on what's happening when you're playing in a two-forward system and your two forwards are getting fewer touches of the ball than when you switch to a 4-2-3-1 and the one, then the one forward later on. Because those two guys got to be linking up. Yeah, I... The really the main thing I can say about Vooten's performance today is that I cannot remember him touching the ball once. So that's I think that's pretty indicative of of his his day today. Yeah, he just got anytime they want near him. Parker Long came in. Gonzalez Perez will do the same thing. Pogba, whoever's in. So that leaves the question about how the union will line up. I think if we assume no Shabilko, uh. Bedoya on the other side, he played uh, despite his potential injury, and he looked to have maybe aggravated it towards the end. Yeah. Another potential issue for Philadelphia. They'll definitely want their captain for that match. But assuming yes. no no Shabilko, I have to wonder if they're going to play like a 4-2-3-1, start Fabian, Aronson, and Montero across the three, with Santos up top. Because without Robinson, they don't have that guy who can keep up with a runner and who can put up those fires. Yeah, I just wonder if they'd be a little, if they'd feel a little defensively susceptible with Fabian and Aronson both out there. But could be Fafa Pico did a shift when he came in. Uh, if they yeah, he was to, excellent. If they want to stick with the four uh, four four two, uh, Santos and Pico are two guys who will make that Atlanta backline run. And that actually, that to me, that sounds like the best way to do it. Because uh, even with Robinson in. Now you got to make Gonzalez Pires place his own net. Now you got to make uh, Franco Escobar play in front of his own net, and really the only guy who can do that is Miles Robinson, and he's usually yeah. only dealing with one runner. So if I was the, if I were the Union, yeah, maybe you get some guys who can run. Of course, we know Aronson likes to run uh, behind, you know, at players with the ball. Uh, Montero, he's more in possession, but three guys straight up the middle running through that team. It worked on a few occasions when they played in Atlanta, uh, but the team just wasn't sharp at that point. So it'll definitely come down to injuries for both teams. Uh, Shabilko and Robinson, I think, are the big ones. Uh, depending on that, I don't know. I, after this union performance, I could see them pulling it out again. Yeah, I mean, it's this, that's the beauty of this single elimination format, right? First year with the single elimination, I think most people would say it's been a resounding success so far most of the matches have been super entertaining and any team on their day can win i mean the union have shown throughout the season they're a very strong side they finished what was it only a couple points behind atlanta it wasn't like they were drastically behind them in the standings so yeah i mean i think that i think they have a great chance to win and if they're at full strength I, I do think 
it'll be a huge loss without Shabilko. I mean, there were they really scored most of their matches or most of their goals in today's match on kind of set pieces, as we mentioned, and kind of poor defending from from the Red Bulls. So I think they they really would be missing a top notch striker um, playing against um, a little bit stronger of a defense in Atlanta. Can't expect uh, set piece goals. Can't expect those kind of that slick weather uh, in this one. What's your prediction on this score? Uh, it's. I think it's going to be tight. It's hard to say definitively without knowing, you know, who's going to play in this match. Um, but apologies, Emmett, for going against your Union boys. But I'm going to go 2-1 Atlanta. They're at home. They're the more talented team. And as you said, Shibuko not even in the 18 today was kind of a telling sign about his uh, injury and, and where he's at with that. So I think I'm going to lead Atlanta on this one. I'm worried about Bedoya. Uh, but I think if Yeah, Robinson's- Bedoya as well. I think if Robinson is out, I think that Wiley coach Jim Curtin, I think he'll get someone like Pico. Even with Robinson in, when yeah. the, I remember that beginning of, this, beginning of the season, Pico had a couple times where he broke away but just didn't have the quality at the end. I think the Union gave Atlanta a tough time. I think they're going to come away 3-2 victors in this one. Let's Ooh. move on. Spend enough time uh, on those stinky Union boys. Let's <laughs> their first over. ever playoff win, Emmett. They deserve it. Oh, they really do. But we got a lot of other stuff to get to. Running out of time. Toronto beat DC United in extra time, but 5-1. Four <laughs> goals in extra time. That is the uh, first time. I don't know about you. That is the first time I have ever seen that. It's the first time I think I've seen more than two goals in extra time. Yeah. Unbelievable. All in the first period of extra time, by the way. Oh, jeez, DC really letting themselves go. <laughs> Lucas Rodriguez equalized in stoppage time, the 90th minute off a corner, and then DC, I guess, figured the game was over? Stop playing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's kind of what I expected, though, with Toronto getting through. Uh, you could say they made short work of DC for the most part. I mean, they looked comfortable until that stoppage time goal, and then they'd realize they had to turn things up, and they got the four goals. So Yeah, I, I agree. I think this one went mostly the way we thought it would um, when we were talking about this last week. Um, even without Josie, they played Pozuelo as kind of a false nine. Um, they really controlled this game. Lucas Rodriguez gets a goal um, off, of, I believe, a set piece late in the match, but then obviously extra time completely belonged to Toronto. Um, I think it's 11 unbeaten now for them on the jump. So they've been playing really strong lately. They've looked very good. And again, injuries. We'll see if Josie comes back. He's, He's obviously a key guy for them, and they're a dangerous team if they get him back in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, who knew uh, that this would be the best time to start playing well? 11 games unbeaten. (laughs) Greg Vanny figuring it out. You know, there were calls for him to be fired not too long ago. Could be seeing Toronto kind of getting back that form from the 2017 season. Uh, Let's give DC United their post-mortem. I think that's what it's called. Yes, correct. They... I think early in the season had some really high hopes. Yes. After the way the last season ended, uh, they turned things around somewhat like New England did this year, except way, way, way flashier with Wayne Rooney and Lucho Acosta. Neither of those guys had anything close to that at the end of this season. Have to assume, well, we know Rooney won't be. This was his last game, uh, and his legacy perhaps slightly tarnished DC will probably be having to go through a rebuild as well. 
losing their yeah. two main men. Yeah, we talked end of an era for the Red Bulls potentially. It seems like it could be the same for for DC. I think obviously we know Rooney's gone. I think Acosta seems like a very good chance he's gone as well. Um, and then Ben Olsen, I mean, the guy who's, you know, the DC lifer, he seems unfireable, but as we said, as you mentioned, a very disappointing year for them this year after ending last season so strongly. They got the new stadium, the new ownership, um, really wanted to make a splash and really haven't come through on that. They, they really need an injection of talent into this squad because as well as they played at the end of last season, as big of a signing as Rooney was, Acosta really struck lightning in a bottle with him. Um, I just think the rest of the squad um, just needs to be needs to be stronger at the top if they're going to consistently compete with the top teams in the East. It's amazing how you can have a 14-year, uh, I don't know, what would you call it, dy- not even dynasty, uh, but era, 14-year era, basically, 14-month yeah. era. Wayne Rooney comes in, D.C. United are good. Wayne Rooney leaves 14 months later, <laughs> and D.C., once again, are bad. Uh, word is that Ben Olsen will stick around. Uh, at Classic. least uh, that is the uh, word for now. Things may change. Uh, Toronto will play New York City at City Field. That's right, not Yankee Stadium. City Field on Wednesday <laughs> at 7 o'clock. Uh, and let's get into that game a little bit because as well as Toronto are playing right now, I don't think a lot of people will be giving them enough credit in this game. I think New York City is going to be perhaps one of the biggest favorites of any team in this conference semifinal. Yeah, we'll see um, exactly how this one plays out, but I, I tend to agree with you. I think NYC will get a lot of credit because of how well they played this year. Um, they kind of distanced themselves the last month or so as the clear best team in the East. Um, I watched them dismantle my Red Bulls in August, um, and that was kind of the acceptance point for me of a Red Bull season that we were not up to snuff with the top teams in the East this season. Um, NYC has been great this year, as much as it pains me to say. Um, but I do think Toronto can cause them some problems. As we mentioned before, we'll see if Josie comes back, but this team, this squad has a lot of experience. They've obviously won MOS cup. They were in MOS cup the season before as well. Um, they've really, really played well on the jump the past 11 games unbeaten and NYC on the other hand, not a lot of playoff experience on this team in terms of wins. Um, they've struggled in the playoffs. Uh, so we'll see um, when the chips are down, single elimination, how it goes. And they're not playing, you know, on their home field either. I assume the dimensions of, of Yankee Stadium have given them a, a big advantage. They've become so accustomed to it. They've been great at home the past few years. Um, I assume it'll be a small pitch again for this match, Emmett. Uh, I don't know if City Field runs bigger than Yankee Stadium. Uh, in the right areas when it comes to soccer. I haven't scouted that out, um, but we'll see if they have a, a discernible home field advantage <laughs> for this one again. In the right areas, because that's where it matters. <laughs> City Field's bigger, it matters, uh, and yeah. that's what they all say. Toronto does have a good record against New York City this year. Of course, uh, Pozuelo's, uh, we'll call it, uh, coming of age uh, with that four-goal winner, not four goal winner, but he, you know they came out. Toronto scored four against New York City when uh, Pozuelo joined the team uh, in the beginning of the season. That was back when New York City was looking pretty bad. Yeah, they're uh, a different team now for sure. Much different team. So is Toronto, to be fair. Uh, and yes. Toronto doing a bit of a flip to 
uh, Chris Armis, who started strong, ended poorly. Toronto started very poorly, is now doing very strong. Uh, they played uh, on September 11th at Yankee Stadium, uh, and they went to a 1-1 draw. Interestingly enough, New York City had just one shot on target to five for Toronto. So it does seem like Toronto has somewhat of New York City's number in a way. So you don't want to underestimate them, especially if Josie Altidore is back. Yeah, definitely. I think Toronto will be a tough out, as I mentioned, for the for the reasons beforehand. Um, but NYC has been extremely strong this year. I think they've flown under the radar a little bit recently because of the huge play of LAFC. Um, but at Bear has been fantastic for them. Potential. I know you love Carlos Hill, um, but potential newcomer of the year there with at Bear. Well, not um, newcomer of the year. Did they did they announce newcomer of the year already? Yeah, it was Carlos Hill. Oh, was Carlos Hill? I know he was a finalist. Um, but Ebert was fantastic as well. Um, he had and some I injury Max... problems. If he if he stuck around the full, if he stayed healthy throughout the end of the year, I think you'd have to you'd have to give him a real solid shout for newcomer of the year. True, and I think he may have missed that September 11th game that those two teams played. But Maxi Morales also um, has been amazing, an MVP candidate this year. Um, another guy who really flies under the radar um, in MLS. Matriz is kind of hitting his stride. He scored on international duty for Romania this past international break. He's played really well lately. Alex Rings been really steady for them since he joined the squad. Um, Keaton Parks is hitting his stride. You love to see that as a U.S. Men's National Team fan. Well, the defense he gets back is looking the good. Soon. Yeah, the defense is strong. That was really their Achilles heel when the team first started. As a Red Bull fan, I can tell you that for sure. But Alex Kyans has, has been strong for them, and really that whole back line's been solid. And Dome Tarant, a guy who I know a lot of NYC fans kind of wanted to run out of town after last season, um, maybe if not for the incredible run of LAFC, he wins Coach of the Year this year because he really really turned it around for them this season, and, and they've been not only very good, but very fun to watch. They've uh, it seems Toronto's figured out his system, somewhat of a of a three four three at times. Uh, Max Morales, of course, you mentioned he has twenty assists this season, which is uh, tied for the third most in single season uh, MLS history. Uh, so, score predictions for this one. Uh, as much as it pains me to say, I think NYCFC is the stronger team. It, it, it's a question with Josie's health. I just I can't believe he's gonna be I, I won't believe he's gonna be out there until I see it. Um and NYCFC is just I think they're the better team. I think they have the better squad and uh, I think they have the better coach to be honest, and I'm gonna go with them. Um I also think the goalkeeper the goalkeeper ba- goalkeeper battle, as I always mention with you, Emmett, I think it leans NYC in this one, although I do think Sean Johnson has a howler in him every once in a while, but I still lean towards them in the goalkeeper battle. So I'm gonna go NYCFC. I think when you're in a playoff game as a keeper, you play in a way that avoids howlers. Looking at you, Andre Blake. I uh, <laughs> love the guy. Uh, I think Sean Johnson isn't going to do what he did against Minnesota, where he kicked it into his own net. Yeah, not uh, great. About, he literally just, you know, it was, it was a nice turn right into his own net. Yeah. I, I think he's, I don't think he's going to have a howler in this one. I think Quentin Westberg is much more likely uh, to blunder a save. That said, I think this one is going to go the whole way, the distance, 1-1 to penalties. Toronto's going to pull it out. That's right. Two road wins so far for Emmett's predictions. There you go. 
not a lot of road success so far in these playoffs, but we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I thought there'd be more. Last year there was in the uh, yeah. in that first knockout sta- uh, stage. So I think it's going to come back. Some of these teams on the road are going to surprise people. I also am not – New York City, I think they have just a bad game in them coming up. They played really well. They just – they got some things that just aren't going to go their way. A red card, a penalty. They just – they've been getting some bounces. I know it's as cliche as it is. I think it's it's going to be sooner rather than later where something it just falls apart for them, and it always happens to teams eventually. And, and we'll see if the long layoff hurts them as well. It feels like coaches never really love that. They've had, with the international break as well, I don't know the exact amount of days, but two weeks, oh. maybe over two weeks since they've over. Since almost, they play a match. Almost three weeks. Yeah, and so that I would assume as a coach you don't love that, um, where you have to sit for that long. The team you're playing obviously is – is on short rest, but at the same time, they're they're kind of, you know, more used to the intensity, the pace of a playoff game coming off a match themselves. So we'll see how long the long layoff uh, affects them. Still to be determined who uh, is in the better position. Obviously, the better team tends to have the layoffs. They do better. Uh, but I think it could hurt them. I think they did play a game behind closed doors, but, of course, nothing really compares to the real thing. Let's head over to the West. Uh, and let's start with another exciting 4-3 game. Dallas came back twice in Seattle. You said they've never won in Seattle? Well, they one, once they again, had one previous win in Seattle. One previous win? Well, yeah. once again, they didn't get it done. Almost, though. Yeah. Two comebacks. Uh, and Seattle 4-3 in extra time. Hat trick from Jordan Morris becomes the fifth other player to do so in the playoffs. Dallas deserves some credit for this one because I did not expect as exciting a game as this was. Yeah, really admirable job from from Dallas. A lot of young kids on their squad, as we've we talked about last week, um, made multiple comeback efforts in this match on the road. Uh, I think in a lot of ways, at least in terms of scoring opportunities, this one resembled Union Red Bulls. Um, much better conditions, but a lot of kind of choppy goals off of set pieces. Jordan Morris had... One of the one of the uglier hat tricks you'll see uh, out there, um, but yeah, they strong showing. Yeah, they all count the same. Yeah, count the same. for me this time. You're you're right about that. Um, <laughs> but a good showing from Dallas. Really impressive season from them. Um, integrating a lot of young guys. Um, but credit to Seattle. Obviously, they've been there. A lot of experience on this team, and uh, moving on. And their fans expect nothing less. Yeah, it's a it's a strong Seattle team. Uh, they played strong, maybe not defensively at times. Conceding those three goals always a worry. Uh, however, uh, da- I mean Dallas never really been a good playoff team. Uh, they looked to have the playoff, and I, there's a certain I don't know what it's called, but there's a certain energy that teams uh, seem to have that I think pushes them. Sometimes it's teams that are, you know, super aggressive. They score goals. Other times it's ones who know how to get a 1-0 victory. Uh, and it seemed like Dallas had that high intensity uh, to push the game, to make the other team uncomfortable. Uh, and from the young guys, it was admirable. And listen, they left everything out there. You could see it on the players after the game. They put everything into that game. Uh, and I think of all the results, it was probably the harshest. Not in terms of calls or you know unlucky but just how well Dallas played uh to not get a result uh that said I think Seattle deserving in their own way uh just a strong team overall 
uh, and probably one of the teams that would uh, give LAFC the biggest run, if not for, of course, El Trafico coming up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Emmett. No, 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 go ahead. Yeah, I just think I want I wanted to mention one more time that I, I did agree with you that Dallas, I thought, were the better side in the second half. Um, and bright things on the horizon for them. So many young guys on their team, um, and I assume they'll be running it back again next season. Luchi Gonzalez at the helm, integrating more young guys. So they're a team that you know I'm excited to watch moving forward. It seems so far we have uh, a couple teams who have been knocked out who we think things aren't looking so bright for. They need a bit of a rebuild. Uh, and then so far, too, who things are looking good. Uh, you know, bright futures for Dallas. Uh, they got the youth, Lucy Gonzalez, another year under his belt. Uh, we'll have to see that, uh, you know, they just keep having more and more youth coming in. It doesn't seem like they have all that much dead weight to get rid of. couple guys. But even with it, they have so much youth coming in that the dead weight doesn't mean much for them. Yeah, it, it's incredible. The pipeline never runs dry for them. As a Red Bull fan, you know, the team always talks about integrating youth and continuing to, to pump out homegrowns, and we have. But now it looks like we've hit kind of a dry spell. And I look over and I think, you know, there's no way we can sustain this. You can't keep pumping out players like this. And then I look at Dallas, and it's just every year there's two or three more guys they've pumped out of the academy. It's incredible. So Dallas looking good for next year. Seattle will not play Portland. We're hoping for we could have had two derbies in this West Coast uh, semifinal, but uh, Seattle will instead play RSL, who defeated Portland in a snowy game up there in Sandy, Utah. Uh, quite the match, two-one. Could have been more, but like the Dallas game, like the Union Red Bull game, it, it was a high-intensity, high-octane game. And another one that was fun to watch. Yeah, and I think this might have been the match, honestly, where um, we saw the strongest performance from one team. I thought RSL was very, very strong in this game. I thought they were clearly the better side, um, deserved winners. And we talked last week about how, you know, RSL seems like they're always counted out. Um, they don't have a lot of experience, this this squad at least, of winning playoff games outside of Ramondo and Beckerman, of course. Um, they're not on national TV a lot. They don't get a lot of love from media or on Twitter. They're playing a Portland side that has a lot of experience that, you know, wants to counter. It looked like it would play right into Portland's hands. I talked all about it last week. Um, and then they made me look like a fool. They, they were the better side in this match. As I said, deserved to win. And, and a moment of magic from a guy that you called out, Emmett, Jefferson Savarino. You called it. Brilliant, brilliant goal to win the game for them. Well, I stand by it. I think that that front four from RSL is about as talented as any front four in the league. Uh, it just, it's about getting them to work. I mean, Damir Krylock, he played that false nine again. Uh, and when it works, it, it really works. And when it doesn't work, that's when RSL are flat. Uh, and Rusnak, again, really, really talented, you know, I think he deserves to be up there with Blanco and Valeri in terms of 10s in the league. He's not as quick, which is always going to hurt him. He doesn't have the yeah. ability off the dribble, but he can play the ball. Got really good ability on it. Um, he can control it. He can pass. He can shoot. And I think those are just as important when you have a guy like Savarino who can do that. There's a little bit more wily on the ball, who can get around a man, uh, and who is perhaps one of the better wingers in the league. Uh, on the other side, of course, uh, Corey Baird. I think he just does the job. Yeah. You know, nothing against him. He was good in this match. Uh, but he, he's just a little 
little bit lacking compared to Salvarino and Rusnak. Uh, Portland, of course, didn't start Valeri. Uh, yeah, I, unbelievable. And it seems the contract dispute came back to hurt them. Uh, yeah, what a shame it would be if this was his last game for Portland. I mean, incredible well that he didn't start. Yeah. Very well could be. And this is a Portland team, and I looked at the beginning of the year. They've got a lot of people on the wrong side of 30. Uh, and just as many who are 28-29, this is a team that also might be looking to rebuild. Uh, in a lot of places, they just did not look sturdy enough throughout the season. Uh, Jorge Viafania did not really impress me at left back. Uh, not the guy who was a former U.S. men's national team starter, Liga Emekis player. At center back, they still haven't really filled the hole that Liam Ridgewell left. Uh, Laris Mabiala is good on the other side, uh, and Jorge Marrera is on loan. So we don't even know if we'll see him at right back next year. Uh, in the midfield, Shara is about 33 now, but they haven't found someone who can play next to him since David Guzman left. Mm-hmm. If Valeri's out, what does that mean for Blanco? Do they have to add another winger? Uh, is Brian Fernandez going to be their answer up top? I mean, we knew he had issues coming from League Emekis, and now we're seeing them. Yeah. Not in the 18 for this match, and I think it's a good point. Again, we're, we're seeing it with a lot of these teams, potential kind of er- end of eras for these different squads. Um, and, yeah, as you mentioned, you look up and down this Portland roster, how many guys, you know, are you certain are going to be on this team next year? I would assume Diego Sebastian. Chara. Yeah, I would assume Sebastian Blanco. Diego Chara, though, he's he's running out of gas. And Jeremy Ebo, or potentially running out of gas. I don't want to put him in the grave yet. Um, but he's, I think he's got another up at there least half a season. Yeah, and then Jeremy Abobise, and then I'm not sure who else I'm certain is going to be on this squad next year. Uh, Dairon Espria. Yeah, Mr. October, Dairon. Uh, Andy Polo, Paredes. I mean, there's a lot of guys who are fine. They just haven't impressed. More of them are just bad. Yeah. Just bad. And that's part of the reason why Portland were bad this year, because they had about four players who were good. The rest of them weren't good enough. They were bad. Uh, and so we kept giving them credit. This is a team that made it to the finals last year. They, they can pull it out. They got the talent. Uh, and we probably should have seen this coming earlier because they just weren't very good. They were bad. Uh, and as it pains me to say, because Portland builds a great product over there, uh, but this, despite making the playoffs, despite still at times looking like they could beat anyone, they still couldn't do it. They looked like they could, but they didn't. RSL yep. will then go to Seattle, and I think Seattle are firm enough to hold on to this one, but RSL, they can do a job on the road, and I worry if Seattle are going to give up three goals to Dallas, I don't think... I think they could do the same thing against RSL. I think RSL actually has more quality up top, uh, the question will be, you know, the conditions. Does it lead to the kind of scrappiness that happened in that game? RSL can deal with it. We saw them do it in the snow. Yeah, I think RSL, I, I don't want to count them out again like I did this past week. Um, well, the thing is you got to count them out because once you give them credit, then they're going to lose. Yeah, very true. I, I, I still feel like Dallas or Seattle, excuse me, is the, is the stronger side. Um, I thought it was a very impressive showing, as I mentioned, from RSL. 
Um, but looking at this upcoming matchup, I like Seattle in this match. I think they have more talent up front, although I do agree with you that RSL's front line is very underrated. I think Seattle is stronger up front. I think they have, again, more experience in the playoffs. They're at home. Um, both teams were strong goalkeepers in this one, uh, something I haven't said often on this podcast, but both teams were strong keepers in that one, so that should cancel each other out. Uh, but, yeah, I – I think Seattle was obviously very susceptible on set pieces. They'll have to clean that up um, defensively. But, yeah, I'm leading Seattle on this one for sure. I'm going to disagree with you in that I think RSL front four is better. I think you – yeah. Rel Rui Diaz is probably better finisher as a striker. Uh, than Krylock or Sam I would say he's a significantly better striker than any striker on RSL. Correct, but I think yeah. the way Krylak can uh, link up with his teammates, uh, his ability for a moment of magic, uh, doesn't make him better. No, not going to go that far. Yeah. But it, it it does at least do a job. I think Rushnak, uh, I think he is about as good as Ladero. That's, oof, I don't know. Which, <laughs> but here's what yeah. Ladero has that Rushnak doesn't have, it, which is a defensive... Uh, work rate yes he's he runs non-stop and he he moves on the field unlike he, he turns a two-man <laughs> midfield into a three-man midfield yeah Rushnak exactly. kind of stands still uh, yeah. i think Rushnak is a more clever player i think he's a more creative player i think he's a better finisher uh, i think he's a better passer uh but ladero you know he can cross he can, he's a better on set pieces and he works harder uh so they're close but i'm gonna give the edge to Rushnak. uh savarino is better than uh jordan know, morris yeah, well, he's better than Jordan Morris. I like Jordan Morris a lot. I think Morris gets a lot of flack on Twitter, especially from national team fans. He had the Morris whole, is great. Don't get me he wrong. Had the whole turning down Bremen saga, and I think people have soured on him ever since then, back when he was leaving He just Stanford. got a hat trick. He had a hat trick. I think he's much more consistent than Savarino is. I think Savarino is definitely more talented. He's capable of a magical moment like we saw with his winner against Portland. But I think Morris is very steady. Um, he's he's quick, obviously. I think he's really improved uh, as kind of more of a two-footed player. He was so one-footed uh, when he first started in Seattle. He's come back from an injury to That's been his big really hit his top form. Yeah, and I think he's yeah, I, I think he's a very strong player, and still probably doesn't get enough credit from fans. I'm with you on that. I don't disagree. I think Savarino is a better player. You're right with Morris. Um, I agree with you. And steady, I think, is the big thing. Uh, I think you know more about what you're going to get out of him. Yes, you know he's he's another guy who's going to work hard. Savarino's a little bit more one-sided on the uh, on the ball. Uh, on the other side, it was Joven Jones played on the wing. Uh, Corey Baird is better in my mind than and Joven me, Jones. Than Joven Jones, yeah. I didn't think Joven Jones did much in that game, and that yeah. that other winger position has been a real problem for Seattle. That's I think fair. Vic- Victor Rodriguez could ever stay healthy, they they'd probably want him out there, but. Yeah. And consistent when he is in. Uh, yes. He should be the guy, but that front four... But here's the thing that Seattle has, and this is why I'm going to have them winning the game, is they play better as a team. All those guys I mentioned work hard on defense. Jovan Jones being a former fullback uh, and wingback. Ladero works back into the midfield. Jordan Morris is up and down the wings tirelessly. Raul Ruiz Diaz chases their defenders. Real Salt Lake doesn't really have that from their front four. Though they're more talented, they're not going to work hard enough. And I think Seattle are a better team 
RSL have a great bunch of individuals who can play very well, but I think in this one, the work rate from Seattle, I mean, it's, it's what won them MLS Cup, what was it, three years ago, being able to work back, being able to be stay tight as a team, I don't see RSL being able to do that if they need to hold on, uh, and that's what I'm going with Seattle. Uh, let's move on now to the last game from the weekend. Well, you did it. I hope you're happy, Pat. You got what you wanted. The Galaxy did it on the road. It wasn't pretty. I picked Minnesota in this game, although I am happy to see all traffic go, of course. You had to see all traffic go. Uh, <laughs> I, that's the thing, though. Uh, Minnesota did not really look up for this game. Neither did the Galaxy. Uh, it was kind of... I don't know. I, don't know. I, I, I think I have to disagree with you early, Emmett, and just to clarify that I think the back six of Minnesota looked very up for this game. Back seven, if you want to include Vito Minone. The front four for Minnesota did not look up for this game. <laughs> yeah, we, we mentioned it last time. They just Their yeah. attack... Is anemic at best. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Quintero isn't the guy that he was in the beginning of the season. Mason Toy isn't there yet. He didn't start. Angelo Rodriguez... Oh, brutal. Missed two huge chances. He had a just a sitter of a header on a perfect ball from Metanair when the game was still nil-nil in the second half and, and hit it wide. It was an incredulous miss. They just haven't figured out how to play with uh, with their forward players. Robin Lode is okay. He's fine, yeah. Ethan Finley. Finley was brutal in this match, too. He was poor. He's you're either going to get like a really exciting game out of him or bad. Another Lode, guy, Greg gonna... Burhalter, made his career, by the way. Ethan Finley. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with Lode, at least you know you're going to get okay. With Finley, it's like, yeah, he's either going to be bad or he'll be electric. Yeah. Uh, and that's you can't really have that in the playoffs. Uh, so we kind of saw that coming with that front four. They did score. So, of course, the Galaxy, that poor, poor defense of four center backs, weren't going to keep a clean sheet. Uh, but they did somehow steal two goals, uh, and we're going to get El Trafico. Yeah, it was really got to be disappointing for Minnesota. I thought they were – they didn't threaten much in this match, as we mentioned, but they still felt like they were in control for really most of the match. Um, then Leggett kind of gets a goal um, out of nothing against the run of play. Um, the initial shot was – I believe it was blocked. And then, you know, fell right to Leggett. He's able to finish it. And then just a few minutes later, Jonah DeSantos – Really out of nothing. Minnesota doesn't get any pressure on the ball. Uh, curls in a great goal to put them up 2-0. Um, but if you're Minnesota, you just you have to be kicking yourselves. It's it's exactly what we said. They've struggled offensively. They had 10 goals in their previous 10 games going into the match. Angelo Rodriguez is missing sitters. Robin Lode missed a great chance. Ethan Finley was poor in this match. At, at the bottom line, Jan Grey Goose scored that goal, what, in the 80? seventh minute or so to, to go 87 minutes against this LA Galaxy defense who was starting as you mentioned four center backs on their back line Giancarlo Gonzalez looked incredibly uncomfortable throughout most of the match trying to play right back to go that long without scoring goals is, is unforgivable and and at the end of the day they they really didn't deserve to win this match because of how poor they were in the attack it kind of looked like an old-school Adrian Heath team back in his Orlando days, back before, well, we can go as far as last year with Minnesota. Yeah. And no Kyle Laren to bail him out this time. And no Darwin Quintero. He was on the bench. Uh, Kevin Molino, is, I think, is okay. He's a good player. 
But in this league, that you know, if you're going to play a 10, the way you know soccer is going, the way it's thought, the way it's played, if you have a 10, he's got to be a really fantastic player. And that Molino isn't that for me. Uh, so Minnesota, they got, at least they built some. I mean, here's the thing. They invested in some older players in Icopar and Ozzy Alonso, yeah. Ido Minone. You have to assume they're going to get at least one more year. All three guys. of those. By the way, those all three of those players were, I thought, very strong in this match. So I, oh, they were, yeah, Ozzy was fantastic. Yeah, Ozzy was mid- very good. If you can put that midfield back together, you you can get Ico Parra back there, Metanere. They only really need a couple pieces. They need, I, I I think two or three strong attacking pieces. But yes, I I agree. They put some investment into into the attack, and the, and they can turn around. I assume Darren won't be back next year. Uh, and then they'll have – I'm not sure – I know Greg Goosh is a DP. I'm not sure if they've used up all three spots, but I, I assume they'll be losing one if and when Quintero I believe leaves. Angela Rodriguez is a DP. He's uh, a DP? Yes. So Ooh. maybe they could offload him, figure yeah. out how to play around him. Uh, they've made some strange purchases throughout the middle of the year. Robin Lode, uh, maybe he fits in. Um, Thomas Chacon was a young DP signing. Uh, maybe Heat when they I think they bought down Quintero to Tam with that one, so you know we'll see how they fit in with those guys they got throughout the mid you know partway through the season, uh, but things are looking decent for Minnesota at the least. And shout out to their fans as well, great fans, some of the best fans in MLS. We have the very best fans up there in Minnesota. Great stadium. I mean that was part of. It may seem weird, but I occasionally root for teams based off of their fans and their stadium. Completely agree. You want to see teams that put a good product, I mean, outside of just the product in the field, put a good production on. Exactly. The fans they, are always there. They're loud. The stadium's packed. The stadium provides a good atmosphere. I mean, even at some of these awful, awful stadiums uh, like Matt Frey, like SeatGeek in uh, Chicago, even when they filled them up, those stadiums really weren't that fun. And you get... Atlanta did it for me for a while. I think the football stadium kind of loses its appeal. Yeah, a little same bit. Thing same with Seattle. With, same with Seattle, yeah. At least they fill it up. It's a lot of people. The I fans think Orlando, too. I, I, I like watching Orlando games because, again, they, they, fill the, they fill out the seats. Great colors, great stadium, and great fans. They got the wall of supporters as well, similar to Minnesota. The first to do an MLS, yeah. Uh, so Minnesota got high hopes for them. I mean, listen, I think in a lot of ways they overperformed where they should have been. A lot of teams in the West probably should have went ahead of them based off of talent alone. Uh, I think it was just kind of the steady uh, midfield and defense that kind of held them afloat with Ico Parra, with Ozzy Alonso, with Jan Gregouche. Uh So, you know, now there's expectations next year. Uh, well, let's talk about El Trafico before we wrap up here because – this is what we all really wanted. <laughs> the MLS front office is ecstatic, Emmett. They are absolutely they I mean they're probably raging tonight. They're not coming into work on Monday because <laughs> I I I honestly a, a part of me was like, "Oh, it's going to it's got to happen. It's got to happen." Yeah. The other part of me was this isn't good. Think the, the Galaxy are going to blow it and we're all going to say, "Oh, what could have been? What could have been?" Well, now we're going to see it. And you, you almost have to feel bad for for LAFC because this has kind of been their bogey team. Yes. Really the only team that's given them trouble 
this entire season, it feels like, is LA, is the Galaxy. Um, ironically enough, Zlatan actually was pretty poor in tonight's match, I would say. Didn't really create many yeah. chances. You were right on with the physical defenders, Boxel and, and Apara, giving him trouble. Um, but I'm sure he will be up for El Trafico on Thursday night. Um, he has tortured LAFC um, the past few seasons uh, from that infamous MOS debut he had with that that incredible goal from midfield um, all the way through this season. Still gives Tyler fantastic. Miller nightmares at night. Yeah, he's been fantastic against them. And, yeah, really unlucky for LAFC to, to kind of have this record-setting season. Velo's been incredible for them. And then you have, as we mentioned also with NYCFC, you have a long layoff. You know, how does that help you? How does that hurt you? Um, and now you have to play your bogey team. And another team, by the way, LAFC, that's dealing with some key injuries. Are, will we see Mark Anthony K in this match? Um, I believe Walker Zimmerman has been training and isn't expected to play, but he's another guy who's dealt with injuries lately, They too. need him. Yes. I'd be okay. If I'm LAFC, I'm okay with K not playing. I think you can fit in. Uh, a guy like Lee Wynn who can do a job. I don't think that you can put in Tyler Blackman at center back, a guy who played wing back in college, yeah. a guy who plays fullback. You know, skills probably more fit him to a fullback other than the fact that he's over six foot. Uh, they're not going to play Dejan Yakovic. No. <laughs> it, so, and of course, Eddie Segura being a you know about five foot ten is going to struggle against Zlatan. You need a guy yeah. like Walker Zimmerman who can back him up. That's yeah. going to be a fun one. I don't know how to put it any other way. Uh, I think LAFC figured it out this time, though. Yeah, I I want to agree with you. I, I just think LAFC have had just an incredible year. I, I always appreciate teams that have incredibly strong regular seasons. And then, uh, crash, and, out in the and then crash out in the playoffs as a Red Bull fan. Um, I think obviously in, in all American sports, we prioritize the playoffs so much. So I always feel bad when teams have great years and then they just get forgotten about. So for LAFC's sake, I, I hope they tame the demon that is Laton uh, on Thursday night. I hope they get to win. And I think they're going to. They're the stronger team. They're at home. The Galaxy's defense is so weak. I, I just think Vela, it, it, Vela alone could have two or three in this one. And then that, to say nothing about the rest of their attack. Um but, yeah, as you said, so could Ibra. So it's going to come down to Zimmerman. I do think Zimmerman's going to play from everything I've I've read. Uh, hopefully we see Mark Anthony K as well. But i got to go with LAFC in this one. I just I, – mostly because I, I want them to win so badly, and I cannot deal with Moore's Latin comments uh, about how he's the greatest thing that's ever been invented. Yeah, I kind of like him. Uh, <laughs> but we, we've mentioned before uh, – you brought up multiple times how – Players that are on their way out seem checked out. And I can't help but wonder if Zlatan had a little bit of that with all this talk about him returning to Italy next year. Yeah, very possible. I have a feeling that that might affect things. Maybe he puts it in his rear view and says, I'm going to you know, bring MLS Cup back to for the Galaxy. Yeah, he's had this no trouble gonna... getting up for the El Trafico matches, though, unfortunately for LAFC. And I, playing at Bank of California doesn't really do a whole lot. You know, in terms of home field advantage when you're playing the Galaxy for some reason. Yeah. Uh, I think this one is going to be f- end up being 5 3 in extra time. It's going to be tied 2 2, go to 3 3 in the first half of extra time, uh, and then LAFC will steal two, and they're going to get it done. But they're not. it's not going to be easy. Wow. Bold prediction. Just to get my score on, I'll go, I'll go 
4-3 LAFC. Another 4-3. I think we've had enough. <laughs> Just like I think you, the listener, have had enough of listening to us. Because uh, that's all the time we have this week on the American Soccer Show. But before we wrap up, we're just going to talk a little bit about the national team. Ugh. <laughs> Go Canada. Uh, people, you know, they said, oh, ben- they- Benedict Emmett, you know, how could you do this? Traitor. <laughs> I and believe we- I referred to you as Judas. Yeah, that was one of them. There's a lot. I can't remember them all. But first of all, who cares about the Nations League? I mean, yeah, I guess we do. We want the trophy. <laughs> I but care about us winning, Emmett. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything, this loss. I, You know, they say you learn... I'm going to throw another cliche at you. You learn more from your losses. There's a better chance for the U.S. to learn about... You know, if they went to Canada and won, you know, 2 nothing, and everyone's like, oh, ho-hum, it's like beating Cuba. doesn't mean anything. Well, now we're seeing what it means to go on the road. And we're seeing another team coming out in CONCACAF that can play. And I want to see Canada in the hex that's all this is all about because i think that's better for soccer that's better for Concacaf. it's better for the u.s long term i started trying to map out this whole what is like you know the you know butterfly effect of u.s winning or losing this game you know canada <laughs> wins u.s goes into turmoil you know they they build themselves back up they play canada in the hex who now gets there and they have to fight their way in. it becomes very fun on the other side u.s wins we don't learn anything we keep you know being complacent we go into the hex. There's no Canada. We lose in, you know, some island country in the Caribbean. I've seen it all before. Yeah. Anyway, I, mean... <laughs> I just had to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say you were spot on about the match. Uh, I was, I guess, pretty naive in, in my prediction. It went basically exactly as you said it would. Canada pressed out of a low block or a mid block, which really gave us problems. Uh, I just think... Obviously, watching the match, Canada was the better side on the night. Just extremely disheartening. (laughs) More just despair for the U.S. national team and for all U.S. men's national team uh, Twitter. It was just really tough to watch. uh, Just being outplayed by Canada, going on the road, like you said, and losing again. Outplayed by Canada. They haven't won a road match in, I think it's been like three years. I think it's been 2016, which, uh, as I mentioned last podcast they they don't play that many road matches because they so many other countries want to play their friendlies in the u.s for the revenue but still disappointing especially when you consider the canadian crowd basically resembled a u.s crowd in that it was pretty scattered and there was not kind of this great atmosphere that we were both kind of expecting um the fans who were there were loud of course but it was not even close to full bmo field in toronto so that made it even more kind of disheartening to see the guys do that. Christian Pulisic gets taken off with an hour left, uh, or sorry, an hour into the match with a half hour left. Uh, everything about the match was just super disheartening. And I, I, I just, I don't know where to go from here I mean, in terms of the U.S. national team. I just, uh, people are already calling for Berhalter's scalp. I, we'll see. Obviously, I don't think he's going to get fired at this point, but if they lose that their next match is also Canada, another nation's league match. I believe it's in Orlando, uh, in the November international break. If they lose another match to Canada, it, it's going to start getting dicey for Burhalter. Yeah. And they can win this one, uh, and then go out and beat Cuba and still come out first in this nation's league group. Yeah. Uh, and be okay. Uh, so the loss there might not mean it that much, depending on what happens in Orlando. 
see the problem with the U.S. men's national team is everyone wants there to be an easy fix. Fire Burhalter, play Tyler Adams, play John Brooks, put Pulisic well, on the wing. To be fair, he it, can't play Tyler Adams because he he hasn't been healthy. You know? <laughs> I understand, but it, it, yeah. it's a simple fix of oh, we'll be good once this happens. Oh, fair. Once we do this, we'll be good. And there's no, I know it hurts to hear. There's no easy solution. The U.S. isn't. Everyone tries to compare them to Italy and the Netherlands. Look how they rebuilt. U.S. isn't Italy or Netherlands. They're not that good. The U.S. is an average country at soccer who outs completely outplayed their expectations in two straight World Cups by getting to the quarterfinals. That probably shouldn't have happened. I mean, <laughs> I mean they, they, they got past Portugal for one of them, right? So people need to be a bit, bit more realistic. Maybe I'm pessimistic. I, I think it's fair to, to say that. Emmett, that the fans need to be more realistic, but at the same time, these CONCACAF opponents, we've been better than all of these teams forever. I don't think it's unrealistic. to, th- And I know it's naive to think that those teams won't get better. Uh, obviously, those te- a lot of these teams have improved, including I agree. Canada. But I don't think it's unrealistic to expect us to still be the second best or maybe third best, if you want to argue Costa Rica, um, team in CONCACAF. Uh, I, I don't think that's unrealistic at all. I agree. The point is, it's not going to be an easy fix. It's not a get rid of Ventura and bring in the, like, you know, Italy turned it around quickly. The U.S., they have an entire lost generation when these academies were brought in. I brought, I've mentioned this before. You know, Weston McKenney is a captain at Schalke at, what, like 20? Give this, give some of these kids time. Because we've got a lot of good kids coming up to the system. And I'm okay if the U.S. is bad now. And can get better in the future. You know, the problem is we don't have that many young guys on the team outside of a McKenney, outside of a Pulisic, or a Josh Sargent. So maybe we should be... And I don't think it's a way to develop kids so everyone says, oh, we'll just play Sargent. You know, we got what we wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, if we play, if you played Jossie Zardes and that happened, we wouldn't be hearing the end of it. So... Yeah, that's, that's true. And Sargent, to be fair, wasn't very good in the match at all. No, he wasn't. And I, yeah. like, we, I mean, we talked about that. We were like, but people will give him credit for at least doing it. Yes. Not the place to develop kids, but that's okay. But these uh, are the two, th- those are the two big questions kind of facing the team at this point, I feel like. Do you start going younger with some of these hyped U20s that we keep hearing about? Ledesma, Mendes, Chris Richards, all these kids. And does Greg Warhalter stick with his philosophy? How flexible is he going to be? Is he going to continue to insist that this team, you know, tries to build out of the back? with possession because it hasn't really been working against top teams. The most painful thing outside of listening to us go on for over an hour <laughs> is that it's during international break. An international break is boring enough as it is. <laughs> and we already hate it so much that we finally get, okay, this is one thing we can all get on. You know what? Don't put words into my mouth, Emmett. I am pro international break. Most How of the soccer community is, is vehemently opposed. I am pro international break. I enjoy international soccer. I said it. How dare you? Well, we don't have time to unpack all of that. That's all the time we have on the American Soccer Show. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. I mean, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you found it some way, so you can just subscribe on that. I don't care. Figure it out. You're an adult. Uh, <laughs> send Subscribe, review, uh, and check out our past episodes or, or something. And, and, you know, see how much we got right, because apparently it ends up being a lot. Until next time, I'm Emmett McConnell alongside Pat Murphy, signing off. <laughs>